It is good to be here. I am the youth pastor here at, youth and college pastor here at Agape, and I love, love Agape very dearly. Um, I've actually, in August, I've been here two years, which is is wild. Does it feel like two years? I don't think so. And uh, it's always a privilege and an honor to get to share with you guys. We have indeed been in the Wisdom for Life series, and it has been deeply uh, nourishing to my spirit and to my soul. Um, Greatly, greatly appreciated the messages that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Mike and Keith Earthshe have shared with us, and it's an honor to be part of this series. Wisdom is important, Amen. (laughs) I want to expand or reword Pastor Jeff's definition on wisdom just a little bit um, to fit today's message a little more smoothly. Um, the way the Lord kind of spoke to my heart is wisdom is just having the perspective of God. Wisdom is having the ability to see things the way God sees things. And that is important. Oh, Lord, I want to see things the way you see things. Give us wisdom. Lord, we thank you that we do not live off bread alone. Lord, we just thank you that your word would nourish and speak to us, transform us, bring healing to us. Lord, instruct us this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be good soil to receive what you're speaking to us today and to let it bear fruit inside of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today, I am speaking on wisdom to face culture. And just for context, because when I've shared what I was going to speak on this week, a few people asked, well, which culture? And that is a great question. And so I'm going to be using the word culture as um, the culture of the world, the overarching worldliness that we can see. Um, It's not any specific culture. And in fact, there's even heavenly culture. Amen. There's a culture of heaven. Um, But we're talking about how do we face the world? I hear this a lot. As a youth pastor, I hear this from parents, I hear it from students. How do we approach, how do we deal, how do we face an an increasingly dark and worldly culture? Right, and it's, it's easy to see that there's an undeniable increase in violence, bullying, drug use, pornography, anxiety, depression, suicide, and the list continues. And in fact, I, I went to public school my whole childhood, and even the few years since I've graduated high school, it's easy to see that things have still even gotten worse. So what do we do? While these observations and these concerns are valid, it's, it's valid, I believe that we need to learn as Christians, as Christ followers, how do we navigate the world around us? We need wisdom for this, amen? So wisdom to face culture. 
So how did Jesus face culture, right? Because he is perfect theology, perfect example, perfect alignment with the word of God, with the heart of God. So how did Jesus face culture? Well, let's turn to Mark 2, verse 15 through 17, because I think this is a great example and illustration for how Jesus approaches culture. If you don't have your Bible, we have it on the screen. So Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to, the, to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And when the teachers in religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people do not need a doctor Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. So what is an example to learn from Jesus in this story? First, Jesus eats with sinners. This is significant. Eating a meal with someone, even in our American culture, it's, it's, it's a significant act more than just sharing a meal with someone, it's an act of fellowship. It's, it's identifying with someone. It's valuing them and honoring them. And, and you, you become on equal seating. So what Jesus was doing is he was deeply associating and even affirming them. And this was extremely scandalous. We can see the result of the scandal by the reaction of the Pharisees. They were appalled. Who does he think he is? See, Jesus wasn't afraid to be countercultural, even countercultural against the religious system, right? Against what was the established church in the time. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because Jesus isn't afraid of their sin, right? He said, the sick are the ones that need a doctor. So if Jesus was afraid of sin, it would be like a doctor who's too afraid of sickness to ever treat patients, to ever even see patients, right? Like the doctor, to be afraid of sickness, you're, you're in the wrong line of business. That's a pretty poor doctor. And yet that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were preaching to the choir. They're preaching to the ones that were holy enough to even associate with, and they were casting out the scum, the sinners. See, the, the Pharisees were responding in the Old Testament way of thinking. In the Old Testament, their whole culture, the whole Jew, Jewish culture was revolved around cleanliness, right? There was a physical and a spiritual cleanliness, and they're actually connected. If you were dirty physically, that actually had a spiritual dirtiness of connotation. And there was a long process of, of becoming clean. It was, it was a long process of going through the right hoops to become clean. But in the New Testament, when Jesus touches something unclean, it becomes clean. The Old Testament, you touch something unclean, and uncleanliness comes upon you. You are now unclean. That's why if you're unclean, you had to be removed, separated. But in the New Testament, Jesus touches, and the unclean is made clean. In Matthew 8, 
Verse 1, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came, and he knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus reached out his hand, and he said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. See, Jesus did not heal him so he could touch him. He touched him so he could heal him. Right? Jesus gets up close to the, to the leprosy. He touches him, right? Which the leprosy was the, the quintessential display of dirtiness. It was contagious, and, and they were outcasts of outcasts. And Jesus touches him. He, he comes close, and he cleanses him. Jesus wasn't at a distance. He was up close and personal. This is our example to reach people where they are, not from a distance, but up, up close. We cannot reach people at a distance. Jesus isn't afraid of the leprosy, and he's not afraid of sin. Jesus hates sin, but his love for us is so much greater that sin will not keep us. It won't keep anyone from Jesus. There's no amount of sin too great for Jesus. So what is our next lesson? Well, Jesus has called us to be salt. In Matthew 5:13, when he's speaking to the Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He says, "You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless." See, a little bit of salt goes a long way. Small amounts drastically can affect the flavor, right? And especially too much salt. Salt has to mix in to share its flavor. Again, there's an illustration of being up close and personal. Salt loses its flavor when it's diluted. If we have anything that isn't Jesus, we become diluted and we lose the effect or the flavor we have on the world. If seasoning has no flavor, it has no value. If Christians make no effort to affect the world, then we lose the purpose of our life. If we are too much like the world, we have no impact. Christians should not blend in and be like everyone else. Instead, we should stand out and affect others positively, just as seasoning brings the best to flavor the food. We're also called to be light. The next verse, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Everyone say, me, I am the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We are worried about an increasingly dark society, an increasingly dark culture, and yet Jesus has called us to be the light. Light casts out darkness. There's no competition. There's no contest. We cannot afford to be hidden lights covered by baskets. We were called to let our light shine where it gives light to everyone in the house so that everyone will praise the Heavenly Father. We are called to be light in the darkness. This is 
so personal to me because this is a huge part of my testimony. I thank God that I grew up in a, a wonderful Christian home. And as a result, by the time I got to high school, and again, it was a public high school, I was so appalled by the worldliness that I, my response was to completely disconnect, disengage, and have nothing to do with, with it. And as, a, as, as the byproduct of that, I ended up having no friends. I had two friends, and at lunchtime, we would sit on the very edge of campus, and we'd eat all by ourselves, and we wouldn't connect, we wouldn't associate, we wouldn't go to, we wouldn't do anything except stay away. And there was a point where God was really moving on my heart, and I just, I had this, this prayer, and I was like, Lord, I want people to see you in me. I want people to see that there's something different about me because they see you in my life. And then, as often great pr- with great prayers, I totally forgot about it, right? And it, it, just, it was gone. I forgot about it. And a f- I, about half a year, maybe more, went by, and it was my senior year of high school by this point, and I was connecting with my classmates, and I was, I was reaching out, and I was engaging, and I had more friends, and I actually, re- I, I caught myself because I was sitting in the middle of campus eating my lunch in the quad where everyone eats lunch and I had all these people around me and I remember thinking, wait, what's happened here? I went from having two friends on the very edge of campus to being right in the middle of campus and I didn't even realize that had taken place. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Wyatt, how are people supposed to see me and you if no one can see you? And, and I'm not preaching against introversion or shyness, but what I'm saying is there is an up-close, personal call to engage with the world so that they can see the Jesus that is inside of us. We are called to be light to the darkness, right? Our response is to, to say, oh, that's dark, and to pull back. And in doing so, we make it even darker because we deny the opportunity for God to bring light into that situation, He is calling his church, he's calling you and me to be the light in the world. If we are only shining our light when we're with other believers, then we make our homes and the church the basket. Don't mishear me. The church is the bride of Christ. Fellowship is beautiful to the sight of the Lord. Unity is what he died for. I'm not speaking against fellowship and going to church. I'm saying if this is the only time we shine, then we've allowed to make the church our basket and the world never gets to see it. We have to take the light outside of these four walls, outside of your homes, and go into dark places so the world can see the light that is in you. We can't stand for darkness anymore. We are at war with it. We can't tolerate it. We have to battle the darkness that we see. Our our war is not flesh and blood. Amen. It is dark. It's the dark principalities in the world. It's it's not the people. It's not the the scum. It's not the sinners and the tax collectors. It's, It's the darkness that is keeping them in bondage. 
They are the people that need the medicine. They need the cure. They are not our enemies. Even when they persecute us, even when, which in America, we don't really know what that looks like. Even when they curse at us, even when they make fun of us, even when they reject us, they still need the light that's inside of us. You might be the only Jesus that people encounter. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Galatians 2, 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we deny ourselves and let Christ live in us, we are the light to the world. We are become the cure. We become the answer. We need to have the wisdom to see as God sees. And when he sees sinners and tax collectors, he sees the people that need him. But there is a warning here. When Jesus walks into the culture of the world, he does it to bring transformation to it. He doesn't join the world. Come on. He doesn't participate with the world. In this message, we've been hearing that, that blessed is the person that doesn't walk with the wicked or sit with the scornful or, or join in with the mockers, right? We're, we're not, it's, it's talking about alignment. We're not to come into alignment with them. We're called to come in and see the love and the grace of Jesus bring transformation to them. Jesus transforms. Okay, so I'm saying go into the darkness, but we have to be careful. There needs to be wisdom in this process because we cannot go into a place where our character cannot keep us. We, we need to be armored and equipped to face the darkness or else the darkness can come in us. We need wisdom to know where the weakness of our character could tempt us to sin. So for example, a recovering alcoholic needs to let the transformation of Jesus bring victory to his mind before he can see victory in a bar. In other words, I'm not saying if you're, if you're struggling with alcohol, go into the bar because you're called to darkness. I'm saying let the transformation of Jesus equip you so that that is not, there's no lost battle within you anymore, so that you could take the victory of what Jesus has done in you into the bar and then bring transformation there. Does that make sense? We need to guard our character and use wisdom to not put ourselves in situations that could cause us to step out of integrity or cause us to sin. Jesus had the character to not be tempted by anything so he could go anywhere. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. We're either being conformed by the patterns of the world or we're being, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need the transformation of Jesus to hit us so that the, confirmation, the conformation, the conforming patterns of the world are broken, and instead we're renewed by the transformation of Jesus. It's not an evaluation of the environment. It's an evaluation of our character. 
it's not whether or not it's too worldly or too darkness, too, too, too evil, too corrupt. It's not about that. It's about being equipped to go and not let the darkness in us. The quick evaluation that I like to use that I share with the youth quite a bit to make it a little more simplified. Here's, here's, the, here's the test. Are you influencing or are you being influenced? If you are being influenced by the world, get out and, and let the Lord bring some more transformation to that area. But if you can go into an, the darkness and bring transformation, if you could go and influence and raise people up like Jesus did, then go and don't let the darkness intimidate you. The, uh, it's a little bit of a church cliche now, but the phrase is, uh, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Set the temperature. Don't just read the temperature. So how do we do this? We let God call us into darkness. Bear with me, okay? God called Moses into Egypt. He called Esther into king's courts. He sent Jonah to the Nineveh. He sent Paul to Jerusalem. He called Abraham up the mountain. David was on the run for his life. Joseph was enslaved and imprisoned. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a furnace. Daniel into a lion's den. And Elijah to face the prophets of Baal. God... What if God wants to call us into darkness? Again, bear with me. God called Peter out of the boat into a storm. I was reading that message or that passage in the Bible, and at the very, very end, it says they climb into the boat. So it's after everything had taken place. They climb into the boat, and it says the winds died down. And I was reading this, and I was like, wait, 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 God, why would you calm the storm after calling Peter out of the boat? Like, be a little more gracious for poor Peter and calm the storm and then say, hey, Peter, get out here, right? We know God can do it. We know he did do it. He just did it after calling Peter out of the boat. I'm like, that's, that's, not, that's not very helpful. You're supposed to help him out. And I was reading that, and, and I almost rhetorically asked God, God, why did you not calm the storm first? And for the first time in my life, God immediately answered me a question discerning the word of God, concerning the word of God. And he said, Wyatt, the storm was never meant to keep Peter from doing the impossible. What if God will call us into darkness because he's given us the power to walk through it and to walk over it? Right? We're so human that we think that we can make the impossible a little bit more impossible. Right? Now that there's a storm, the impossible is even harder. But it's already impossible, and God called Peter to do the impossible. Peter was walking on water, and yet somehow, instead of being focused on the miraculous power of what Jesus was doing, he, he looked at the storm and thought, wait, I can't walk on water if there's a storm. And, and the danger is that God will call us somewhere and we're like, all right, God, I'm coming. And then a storm will happen, right? I'm not saying God created the storm. I'm not saying he wants us to be in a storm. I'm saying he wants us to walk through the storm. And we, we're following God and then all of a sudden turmoil hits. Something hard, something challenging hits. And we're like, oh, I, I took a wrong turn. This can't be God because God would never be in the storm, but here we see Jesus standing in the middle of the storm. And in fact, the closer that every step Peter took into the storm was a step closer to Jesus. The storm is not meant 
to keep us from doing what he's called us to do. God will call us into darkness, not because he wants to punish us or make us suffer, but because he's given us the power to overcome it. We need to stop pursuing comfort. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Let me break that down. If the Lord is the source of our joy, which he is, come on. If the Lord is the source of our joy, what does that mean? It means we do not, in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own pursuit, need to acquire our joy. We let him source it. If he is our comforter, we do not need to acquire, obtain, pursue our own comfort. We let him comfort us. What if the Lord is calling you out of your comfort zone because he wants to do something miraculous? What if we have to step out of the boat to see him do something impossible, not so our faith is battered by the storm, but so our faith is built up and said, wow, look what God can do in the midst of a storm. We need to stop seeking comfort. We need to seek first the kingdom of God, even if it seems uncomfortable. We can't let comfort be an idol. We can't let comfort keep us from obedience. And God, I, I, you're like, wait, why at last time you're here, you talked about how Jesus is a perfect shepherd leading us to green pastures and still waters. And now you're saying he's calling us in the storm, but God can have peace in the storm, right? There's still abundant life in the storm if we go equipped with the power of God. It's not a call to be miserable. It's just a call to be an overcomer. Amen. God spoke that to my heart, and I was like, God, then call me into the storm. Then call me out of the boat. Call me into darkness. I don't want to let my fear of a storm cause or evoke or produce disobedience. And, and he won't force us into the storm. He, he, storms happen. Like I said, we're in a, a dark world. In fact, Peter had to give Jesus permission to even be called into the storm. Peter had to say, you know what, Jesus, if it's you, call me. We need to have that response in our heart that says, Jesus, if this is you, call me. Not that we go storming off into every uh, dark place just for the sake of it, but if the Lord is calling us into a dark place, God, if it's you, call me. I dare to see what darkness could do to try to stop this. I, I dare it. So it's extra true. John 16, 13 says, Here on the earth you have many trials, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We need to stop being so fearful of darkness that we're paralyzed and that we lose the power of Jesus that's inside of us. Fear stops in the tracks faith. It stops our boldness. It kills it. We need to... We need to we need to stop being fearful. 1 John 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John says, Perfect love casts out all fear. Psalms 23 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalms 91 says, A thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Paul was so passionate about the heart of people. The Apostle Paul, he was so passionate about changing his culture that he, he said he'd rather be cut off, separated from Jesus than if it meant 
the, the, his culture, he was talking about the Jews, if it meant the Jews could be united with Christ. Can you imagine being so overwhelmed by the heart of God that you would rather be cut off from God than let the people that he's called to perish and go to hell? Like he was so passionate about this thing that if it meant him cut off from God, he'd rather everyone else could enter into heaven. That everyone else could find. And, and Paul's not, he's not saying, God, I care about these people more than you because Paul, uh, Paul later says that to me, Christ is everything. Philippians 3.8 says, everything else is meaningless compared to the value of knowing Jesus. And yet he was so passionate for people that he'd rather be eternally separated from God. The last point is the world is waiting for us. I was in India, and if you want to talk about darkness, I got a lot of stories about India. And we... uh, we were, I was there for a month, and we were going to all these remote villages, and we get to a village, and there's only one Christian, and we were used to going, and there's at least a small church, and there was only one Christian lady, and she was, she was an elderly lady, and we get there, and she began to weep, and she said, I've been praying for years that Christians would visit my community, and we ended up getting to witness to a family there, and they all accepted Jesus. And she wasn't the only Christian in her village anymore. She had been waiting for Christians to come. The world is waiting for us to come and be the light. There are lives tied to the other side of our obedience. People are waiting for real Christians to go into darkness and to be the light of Jesus. We are his body. We are an extension of him. Jesus paid too high of a price to let people not know about him. He paid too high of a price for us to sit back and let the world go to hell because we're saved and we're going to heaven. Revelations wasn't given so we can go, well, everything's going to plan. The world's getting darker, so everything's going to plan. No, revelation was given so that we'd have an urgency to know that we need to run our race because people are not going to know, they're not going to make it if they don't hear about him. There are people that are going to be lost for eternity if we don't get into gear and go and be a light in darkness. We are called to be the cure for culture. How do we face culture? We face it head on and we're the cure. We need to change the culture by the life of Jesus that is in us. We need to stop playing defense and start playing offense. We need to be world shakers and world changers. What influence could Agape Church have in San Luis Obispo? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three guys stood up in the midst of an opposing culture, and the whole nation was changed. Just three. The world is waiting. It's not about an agenda. It's about fully representing him, showing Christ everywhere we go. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says, All authority in heaven has been given 
to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, because surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. Matthew 10 says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely you should give. The last verse, 2 Corinthians 6 says, As God's partner, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the, del- on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Again, I, I, I get it. There is a lot of darkness in it. It's so tempting to be overwhelmed. When I walk into the high schools, when I walk into Cal Poly, and I see the overwhelming culture of darkness. But it doesn't take that much light to make a profound difference. It really doesn't. If they just get a taste of Jesus, if they just get a taste of who he is, it will draw them in. I was, I was working uh, like, like labor, like I was doing a project on the side of a road, and I, I, was, I was listening to the word, and I, I had my headphone in, and I was being fed and nourished, and, and this guy came over and was watching me work, and he started chatting, and, and to be honest, looking back, I was actually a little bit short with him because I was in the zone working. And uh, we talked for a bit, and he was interested, and then he left. And the next day, um, I'm working again, and he, I, I don't know what he saw, because I didn't even feel like I was being that good at being Jesus, but he saw something, because out of nowhere, he just began to open up to me and share his life and share how he needs Jesus and how he needs to get right with God, and I just stopped what I was doing, and I got to minister with him. And I was like, Jesus, how did he even see you? How did he even see you? I, was, I wasn't even being religious or anything, but there was a, at least a small light that he saw that he longed for, There are people that are in such darkness, they forgot what light looks like. And if you could show them a little bit, it'll it'll illuminate just how much darkness they're in. Sometimes we get so comfortable with the darkness around us that we even, we we start to, to forget about it. And we introduce even a little bit of light. And it it encourages us to, to draw us closer, to seek the light, to draw in. My prayer today is that you let the love and the grace, oh, God, your grace is sufficient. In my weakness, your strength is made perfect. God, bring transformation to our hearts and our lives so that when we win the battle in our mind, we can take it and be victorious in our culture. Lord, let the light of you illuminate and and. and burn so brightly that everywhere we go, we just spill and overflow Jesus. This is what we're called to. It's not just for the few chosen. It's for the body. All these scripture verses are for all of us. 
And I'm not saying go and preach on the corner for the rest of your life. I'm saying go to work and be light. Go to school and be light. Go to the grocery store. Go and pump gas. You could still go to Starbucks. Just go and be light. Just be light. Right, not, not a flashlight that you can click on and click off, can run out of batteries. Be a light that everywhere you go, it just shines. When we get so much of Jesus in us, it's hard to turn off. It really is. We don't have to be perfect. We don't. We just need to let him be seen in our lives. Lord, I just pray that this word of being light and being salt would, would hit our hearts and that we would have the wisdom to see things not from the perspective of being overwhelmed and fearful, but we'd have the wisdom to see things the way you see things. To see darkness not as, as overwhelming or scary, but as an opportunity. It says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, let us have that heart to see things the way you see things and to go boldly into darkness and let your light shine on us.